Welcome to Conversations About Care, a podcast for pediatric clinical providers. Hi, this is Sandy Hassan, and I'm the Medical Director for the American Academy of Pediatrics Institute for Healthy Childhood Weight. And I'm excited to share today's conversation, which is part of our Clinical Practice Guideline Implementation Series. Throughout this series, you'll be able to hear from pediatricians across the country, many of whom have been instrumental in developing the CPG or who have been out there in practice and working on obesity care and treatment. Our hope is that you can listen to these conversations and be inspired to think about how you might be able to integrate or improve obesity care and treatment within your practice. Stay tuned. Hi, everybody. And I'd like to welcome you all today to our conversations about care. And I'm thrilled to introduce my guest today, Dr. Sarah Armstrong. Sarah is a professor of pediatrics and director of the Duke Healthy Lifestyle Clinic. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me, Sandy. So Sarah, you've been on another of our podcasts and you know, I always like to ask my guests, what got you started or intrigued about taking care of children with obesity? Can you fill us in a little bit about how this all started for you? Sure, of course. And, you know, like many folks, I know that listen to these podcasts and I know like you, I started as a general pediatrician, still have a general pediatrics practice, in fact. But I, you know, maybe this was like the early 2000s. And I think for folks that have been practicing that long, getting away my age, you know, what we started seeing was I knew how to treat their ear infections and ADHD. I had all these guidelines, but these kids who came in with these rapidly increasing body mass index, and I started, you know, testing for diabetes and saw numbers that I, I just wasn't comfortable managing. And I, you know, I remember thinking, you know, I went into pediatrics and left this stuff behind this medical school with internal medicine. What are all these adult conditions I'm seeing? So it really kind of bothered me on a, you know, just very deep wanting to take care of children level that I just didn't feel comfortable or know how to care for these patients or how to help them. So that, that really was what sparked my interest. It uh, was really just, uh, you know, a desire to do better um, and help these kids meet their health goals. Sarah, you're resonating with, with my experience. I remember seeing adolescents in, in the 80s. I was seeing adolescents uh, come in with obesity and walking in the exam room, you know, doing my work up, asking questions, and then walking out of the exam room and standing in the hall thinking, I, I, I don't know exactly yeah. what to do here. Like, I haven't yeah. seen and then I remember reading the adult literature and seeing that there were sleep apnea and liver disease and type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. I started testing my kids and I was, I think I spent the first 10 years of my practice in the, in the 80s in shock thinking, no, they can't. How can kids have like chronic liver disease based and type 2 diabetes? So yeah, it was, it, it's been an incredible experience. And I think we're here today just to, to understanding that we're, still in the middle of the obesity epidemic, still seeing children in our care who are both, you know, starting to gain weight and and also children who have serious comorbidities and severe obesity and the need to do obesity treatment. And I think the fundamental question is, how do we get obesity treatment to work? And how did you get obesity treatment to work in your context, in your hospital, in your clinic? How did you, how did you do that? Yeah, well, gosh, what a what a great question. And 
I know everybody's got their journey um, on this. And honestly, I wish I knew what worked better. I think that's what we're all trying to do is, is constantly and incrementally make what we're doing work better for kids. So I can, I'm, I'm happy to share my experience with, you know, what worked to kind of get the, the delivery service in place and, and do the best we can. But hopefully, you know, this is a, this is an ongoing, you know, learning and, and love all the, you know, for folks that haven't joined the section on obesity, um, we have just a robust discussion in the listserv, always, all of us trying to figure out how to make it better. So I really encourage people to, to join that. You know, when I, after I kind of first noticed the problem was, you know, exploding and I didn't have my hands around it, right around that time, I had the opportunity to move from where I was in Baltimore to, to Durham, North Carolina, and join faculty at Duke to start a program. Because really what was happening is the endocrinologists and cardiologists were getting referred to all these patients, you know, and they were like, we don't know what to do either. And also, we don't have room in our specialty clinics for this many patients. So, um, so that was really the motivation of the hospital to start this clinic. And I think that's important for folks to hear because it's really good to, you know, whether you're in a hospital health system or in a, you know, a community health system, understanding what the drivers are for the health system and where they need help. And can we meet that need as well as taking care of patients is, is somewhat strategic. So I remember the first conversations were, can you set up an assessment clinic and just screen them for all the comorbidities and then send them to the right specialist to fix it? <laughs> there was no, I mean, right, there was no concept of obesity treatment back then. It was like, oh, well, that's people's own responsibility. Our job is to get them to the lipid doctor or if they have PCOS, get them to the endocrinologist or, you know, so that's kind of, I think, what they envisioned I'd be doing. Um, and I didn't know any better back then either. But I think, you know, what happened happened was getting started, you know, and this is maybe where many folks are now is um, I was in primary care practice and just set aside a schedule to see kids with obesity within our own practice. I gave myself an hour to see new patients and 30 minutes to see follow-ups. And I found a dietitian who was willing to work with me for those days I had set aside and we just sort of tag teamed. I would see them first and I would do that assessment and screening that I think health system was interested in and, you know, the nutritionist would do her screening and it kind of built from there. So I think, I think the key take home message from that early experience is, you know, there's no, you know, blueprint necessarily on the right way to do this. I think where you are, just get started and use the tools that we know are out there now that we didn't have back then. Now motivational interviewing training, 5210 program that, um, that is available through the academy and also by joining Zoom and getting all those additional resources just kind of to get started where you were. Now, now over the years, we were able to add on as we got new information. You know, as we learned that physical activity is really quite important, we added a physical therapist to our team. When we learned how important mental health was, we added a mental health provider to our team. And when we realized that, you know, what we were doing in clinic was useful, but probably not as intensive or impactful as it needed to be, and what kids really needed was safe places to play, we reached out to um, a local recreation center. And for us, it could be the Y, could be Boys and Girls Club, any of those. For us, it was Parks and Recreation because they were just down the street. And from there, we developed a collaboration um, where we could provide the medical care, and then the kids could go over to the Parks and Recreation Center a few nights a week and be able to be active with their families. Sarah, what was that initial conversation like with Parks and Rec when I came yeah. to 
down the street, knock on the door and say, hi, I'm Sarah Armstrong, or how did that happen? Yeah, it's, you know, it's really interesting. I think that community recreation providers would love to get to know their local pediatricians, and they are just afraid that we are too busy, not interested. And I think the approach of knocking on the door is absolutely okay. And I think what most people will find is they'll say, yes, like we really want to improve the health of kids in our community. And that's why parks and recreation professionals go into what they do, but they feel some barriers reaching out to pediatricians because they just, they kind of don't want to bother us. They're, they're not sure what reception they'll get. I find it's much more that way than the other way. Um, for, for me, what was really helpful was, um, was you, we have, a, and many, many communities have this, we have a local partnership through the local health department that convenes people that are interested in different topics on a monthly basis. And I just kind of started showing up at those. And the parks and rec people were there too. We got to know each other and hear what each other were interested in. And we said, hey, this sounds like a great opportunity um, for them because they wanted to get more kids coming into the center. That's how they, that's how they survive is by having a lot of people come use the facilities. And, and it helped us because we just didn't have the bandwidth to see kids more than about once every month or two in clinics. So that was how we got introduced. But I, I do think that the knocking on the door saying, hey, let's make kids healthier. I think it could work. You said something really important there too, is that you you found a convener, somebody like the Department of Health, who was convening a meeting either on healthy living or, you know, obesity, and met people through that partner. And, and I think that's also so important to remember that there may be things going on in your community or even your state chapter that has an obesity champion meetings that you could just go and meet people. Because, you know, the theme I think we all uh, circle around is how important that personal connection is like you met the parks mm -hmm. person and you got excited with them about doing this and so many times that's how I have found the the, the advances or your ability to expand your resources sort of yeah comes through that personal connection you know I met somebody Agreed. interested in, in that can you tell us a little bit about parks and recreation because I'm a neophyte mm -hmm. With in terms of what what do they all do and where do we find them? <laughs> yeah, oh, it's such a great question. And honestly, their missions are so well aligned with ours, and I just I just find them to be the the greatest collaborators. You know, the the thing that's different about Parks and Recreation as compared with something like the YMCA is if you've seen one Parks and Recreation Center, you've seen one. <laughs> so whereas at the Y, there's a lot of programs, you know, that are like consistent across the whole nation. There really is no sort of central organizing body. I mean, they do do some of the same services in communities, but they're all quite different. And that's actually a real blessing for kids and families because that means that each one can respond to the local needs and cultural preferences and, you know, who's living in that community. So I think it's it's really a flexible organization. They typically are funded through their city or county government. So they get a piece of the pie, like the same pie that the fire department and you know, the police station and the public library, they get a piece of that same pie. Um, and that's sort of where, you know, where they stand. They typically have very low entry fees to residents in that county. So it's like a dollar to enter if you, if you're, you know, if you live in Durham County, for example, but it's usually not that much more if you don't. So for us, 
Durham and Orange Counties are very close. And so if you're in Orange County and you go, I think you pay $6 to get in. And it's all prorated. And so families who want to continue to participate or want to sign their kids up for some of the sports activities can um, meet with a financial coordinator at the recreation center. And there's a sliding scale, which even waives fees for families. So it really is like a perfect fit for a lot of families who might not have access to the extensive club soccer or whatever that's in their area. So they have the recreation center, which is usually, you know, got a gym and some exercise equipment. They all look a little different. They run sports teams. So the usual basketball, soccer, baseball kind of stuff. They have after-school programs, many of them, that are educational and activity-oriented. In Durham County, they're the second-largest provider of food to children in the county next to the public school system. So they wow. do provide a lot of after-school food, and especially during the summer. And then they also oversee the park, which could be just open spaces or the ones with playground equipment. So they do both. They manage both of those. So they sound like an ideal partner. Now, I have a question that mm -hmm. I always get concerned about when I'm looking for at my community partners. Are, are they safe? Are they equipped in some way to, to sort of uh, shepherd my patients with obesity? You know, do they get any training in working with kids with obesity? Or how, do you, how did you sort that out? So yes and no. I would say that the the parks and recreation professionals there is a, there is like a certification, a recreation professional educational pathway. So they are all extremely good in working with kids and adults around recreation. And in fact, sometimes when you know we had staff that we would send over there that maybe were undergraduate students and were working with the kids, I would have some of the parks and recreation professionals come to teach the students how to run activities because the recreation folks, they know how to get a good game of sharks and minnows together, or, you know, how to get kids to like participate a little more. They're like camp counselors. Yeah. And they're really good at their job. Now, working with kids with obesity is like a little bit of a different thing. And this is a really interesting point because one of the reasons Parks and Recreation said, yes, we really want to do this, is because the typical child that walks through their door to join all of their sports programs is a healthy weight child. Like, you know, lots of kids of healthy weight want to sign up for sports. And what they really want to do is bring in kids who maybe might benefit from participation. They want to bring in those kids that maybe have a higher body weight and would really benefit from that, but they didn't know how. And so the partnership in that way was perfect because what, what they tell me is that the kids show up and they say, well, my doctor said this is a good place to go. And my doctor said that me and my family should come here and be in this program because they said it would be good for my health. And so they, they feel like having the pediatrician recommend it just gave that extra buy-in that, um, that had those kids show up or otherwise they might, they might not have. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really important because one of the things I found is that every community is really unique and you, you may have a why, but, but not a, parks and recreation facility. You may have a boys and girls club, but not a Y. You may have, you don't know what you have. And right. do you have any thoughts about as you, places you've gone to literally find out what's in your community? Because, it, you know, yeah. in your office and sometimes it, it's kind of isolating in a way, you know, you're, you're not always aware. In fact, we had a program where we literally introduced community dietitians to primary care physicians, they didn't know each other were, were there. So do you have any thoughts about how yeah. they figure this out? 
Yeah, it's a great question, and it's so different for each county. I mean, we did a we did a project where we were trying to bring this model of parks and recreation pediatrician collaboration to ten counties in North Carolina. And if anybody knows North Carolina, it's like big city to super rural. I mean, we like everything in between. And what we found is in some counties, you know, not only did they not have a parks and recreation or a Y or a Boys and Girls Club, many of them didn't even have a single pediatrician in the mm-hmm. whole county. So I think what's really important is to find out what is the, you know, the health infrastructure in that area. You know, is it a community hospital? Is it more of a health system that maybe has, you know, reach into that into that community? And search that that health system or that hospital system for community outreach, for community organizations. Just start using those keywords. And even if it's adult only, like a lot of times what you might find are groups that are doing diabetes education or, you know, other things like that, which may not seem exactly what you're trying to do. But often those are the groups that are really invested in starting to build some capacity. So one example, we did this in a little town called Bisco in Montgomery County, North Carolina. And we were we were struggling to find, you know, the partners. And so we went to the local community hospital and we kind of searched around to see and they, they did have a little community education group and they were doing some of these classes um, with pregnant moms and that sort of thing. And we said, hey, we've got this program and we can teach you how to do it. Who, who do you think might be interested? Well, they said, well, let's call Deb, you know, the family practice doc. (laughs) These people know each other, you know, and and they also found a old, it was actually an old schoolhouse that was, you know, not being used and they were able to, you know, get some space there. So we literally had a family practice doctor at a schoolhouse from 1902 repurposed (laughs) for fitness, but they were engaged and they were wanting to do this. So I guess maybe the message there is like, think outside the box. Be, be okay with being out of our lane. Don't be afraid to get creative and, and rely on the local expertise and relationships because they generally know what they need to be successful. Yeah, and I think that's so important because one size doesn't fit all. And our practices and our communities are so unique. I wanted to segue a little bit and just get your thoughts on, as we've all watched the obesity epidemic, grow, we've also watched the children who have severe obesity, that proportion of children grow, and those kids can be sick and, and, and challenging. And, you know, for pediatricians, with your pediatrician hat on, how do you, have you found yeah. you needed to, to change your, your offerings or your practice to meet the needs of those children? Yeah, it's such a good point. And boy, are you right, the pandemic has just done a number on our numbers and on these children and families. So, yes, I think, you know, this is where people start worrying, do I have the required expertise to be able to treat these children? So I'll say a couple things. One, first and foremost, ground zero for every pediatrician, pediatric healthcare provider is those children who have developed severe obesity, they know that there's a weight problem. And I think we have to be really able to communicate our concern for their health without making them feel additionally shamed or blamed or judged or and please that that extends to the parents as well i think sometimes we 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 try so hard not to shame children but 
inadvertently maybe we shift it to the parent for their their parenting um, responsibilities. But people have been facing tough times, and I really do believe that people are doing their best with what they've got. So I think acknowledging that you're concerned about health, but also offering compassion that this is a hard journey and it's different for everybody. So I think that's first and foremost, I just think really important for all of us to, to really believe in our hearts and, and lean into in our conversations with, with kids and families. The second thing is, I think we have to either develop the skill set for prescribing anti-obesity medicines or know who in our area has the skill set for prescribing anti-obesity medicines. And, you know, all my work is around community intervention, so I am not like the drug pusher <laughs> in the room here. But at the same time, you know, there, there are some kids who, who really do benefit from these new therapies. And we're really fortunate to have some very smart investigators that have done a great work, great work over the last, you know, three to five years. It's been pretty recent developing these. So I think, I think developing that skill or, or knowing who has that skill is really important. You can develop that skill yourself through some educational activities. There's the annual AAP CME activity in the spring that's virtual, so it's pretty easy to attend, where we have speakers that have actually done those studies of those medicines and can answer your questions about how to prescribe them. Also, Blackburn at Harvard offers an annual week-long course to help with that. You can get CME credit. So there's lots of opportunities out there to learn. But if you don't feel comfortable, you know, then, then finding somebody in the area that can provide that I think is really important. And similarly, I think, again, for those kids, probably exactly what you were just going to ask, is know where you can refer them for bariatric surgery. So, you know, again, you know, I know that the tough topic and I think people feel differently about, about it, but we do have a 2019 AP policy statement showing that it's safe and effective for the kids who qualify, and you can look at the qualifying criteria. And we have to be willing to, you know, endorse that safety with the families because they trust their pediatrician. And if their pediatrician isn't comfortable with it, then certainly, you know, the family's not going to feel comfortable. Um, and you can find a list of, of surgical programs nationally that have met the highest bar for adolescent safety and quality, and they follow their patients long-term through the MBSA QIP, and I can probably share that website so people can look that up. But just use search by your region, and you'll find out what the high-quality program is near you. So just make sure you know that and have a good pathway to refer to our, our wonderful adolescent surgeons who can help those kids with really severe obesity. So I think one of the things this brings up is that really you're looking at your patients and you're trying to plan for the needs of your patients. So on one hand, you're trying to expand the folks in the community that can really help you with obesity treatment that you can shepherd in with exercise and, and good nutrition. But in addition, you have to look at the kids with severe obesity and say, how can I plan for those children? And I think either within my practice or, or by becoming aware of prescribed medicine and where your surgical programs are. And I think that this also brings to the point of getting to know your subspecialties. Because in yeah. my experience, in, in going around and talking to the various subspecialists, I would find in any group subspecialty practice, now, you know, maybe you only have one cardiologist, but we had a number of them, one would be interested. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah. If I can find one cardiologist and one hepatologist and one pulmonologist that was my go-to person, 
then we we actually had a conversation about what part of this would you like to do and what part would you like me to do so i have had you know over the years hepatologists that would say no no sandy just send them to me as soon as you get that elevated liver enzyme i'll do the whole workup it's good you know we'll we'll move along i'll send them back to you for for uh, treatment, nutrition, activity, and so forth. And I had other hepatologists said, no, no, screen, screen them for like everything. <laughs> Just, you know, do all my screening tests and then I'll see them. So how have you mm-hmm. found your relationship with subspecialists play out uh, as you yeah. do this? You know, it's so funny. I You're totally right. I mean, in most groups, there's one that's like kind of interested in this. And so, you know, I think there's a couple ways to approach it that, that we've, we've done both. So I can kind of say sort of what you have available and what people are willing to do. Sometimes it's a matter of when we refer, we kind of tag that person who's interested in it because we just know that they're going to be sort of on the same page and providing the same kind of care. And that works really well if they're willing to do that. The other thing we have tried, which has been so fun, we've done this with pediatric gastroenterology and pediatric endocrinology, is we found a person who was just so interested that they were willing to come over to our clinic a half day a week and see patients with us. And honestly, I have to say um, that has been really fun, selfishly because we learned so much. Oh my gosh, we learned so much from working with them. I think they learn a lot from working with us too, but also because most importantly for the patients, they don't have to trait all over the world to go to all these specialty appointments that we sign them up for, you know, and, and, you know, most most primary care clinics are located somewhere in the community and there's parking and it's just, you know, easier to get in and out of. But most specialists, I find, are at the main hospital and then you've got a parking deck. And so it really has been fun to have those specialists who are interested enough beyond just getting a referral, being willing to come over and see patients with us. It's been great. So I think anytime you can co-locate or share the mm-hmm. care of a patient, the learning is exponential. I remember working very closely with our psychologist and on some particularly complicated cases, we would literally both go in the room at the same time. And that was so powerful because we were literally modeling the complexity of the problem by the patient. Here's your pediatrician and here's your psychologist, both, you know, talking about what's going on. So I think, again, it brings out getting to know uh, just like you get to know the people in the community, getting to know your subspecialists and getting a relationship. Because mm-hmm. the the more that relationship sort of comes to fruition, I think the more learning on on everybody's part can take place. Yeah, I so, absolutely agree. You're you're so right. So Sarah, to wind down our conversation, and we think about everybody in in out there on the front lines in pediatrics, which is where most of our children with obesity are going to be cared for. Any last tips or things that you'd like to just share (laughs) with, with, with all of us? You know, one of the, one of the biggest things I would say is, you know, when I initially came at this, I felt like I needed to be an RD and a PT and a mental health specialist all myself. I think Use your resources. You know, you you don't necessarily have to have all that expertise yourself. And also, many of the nutrition and activity changes that children would benefit from really don't require a lot of advanced training in some of these. I think, you know, it kind of goes back to that old, you know, people don't necessarily remember what you say, but they remember how you made them feel. 
And I think, you know, the more that we can, you know, approach these patients with a lack of judgment and non-stigmatizing language, I think they'll, they'll come back more often. And even if things didn't work out exactly the way we had hoped the first time, it gives us an opportunity to continue to explore, you know, what changes that, that might work down the road. So it's, so be patient and, you know, and, and recognize your own strengths that you have to bring to these patients, even if you don't have all of that expertise. Well said, and and I think I thank you so much for sharing your experience with uh, taking care of children with obesity and your time with us today. So thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Sandy. It's great to talk. Thank you for listening to my conversation today with Sarah Armstrong. I hope that you were able to take away some practical strategies on how to move obesity care and treatment forward in your practice. As a reminder, there are many resources to support your capacity building and CPG implementation efforts, which you can find on our website, www.ap.org slash obesitycpg. resources, or opinions expressed during the Conversations About Care podcast series are solely those of the individuals and do not necessarily represent those of the American Academy of Pediatrics. The topics included in these podcasts do not indicate an exclusive course of treatment or serve as a standard of medical care. Variations, taking into account individual circumstances, may be appropriate. The primary purpose of this podcast is to explore common themes related to quality pediatric care from the perspective of clinicians. This podcast series does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Advertising, which is incorporated into, placed in association with, or targeted toward the content of this podcast without the expressed approval and knowledge of the American Academy of Pediatrics podcast developers is forbidden. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast.